can't see Molly back from where I stand, but Molly, thanks so much. Oh, isn't the congregation blessed to have her? And to have the choral presentation, the choir today, I thought was, Dave, you did a great job leading in the two um, solos. I, I don't know, I, I think for a congregation the size, that is absolutely a blessing and a treat. Um, I, I'm looking through the announcements. Boy, can I not wait till Saturday, March 7th for cheesecake and Chardonnay? <laughs> what, what better of an evening could that be? And also, if you look forward to next Sunday, uh, Reverend Dave uh, speaking on why it doesn't pay to be a people pleaser, uh, reflecting on that, that fine line between being generous and, uh, in our relationships with others and, and embracing uh, their preferences and expectations, and then not being authentic to who we are in that relationship, uh, an interesting topic. Uh, today, I'm really kind of in a way surprised I was invited back. The last time I spoke here, I spoke on melancholy, and it was uh, a very somber set of thoughts that were on my mind that day, but today I'm here to talk about play and fun. Uh, I just have uh, left both at the Thanksgiving time and the last week uh, with my three and five-year-old grandchildren. And every morning begins with them climbing into bed with me. And after a few minutes of talk, all of a sudden it becomes, can we play? Can we go downstairs and play now? And hours and hours of hide-and-go-seek or sitting and playing with a castle and knights and horses or playing with Barbie dolls or playing old maid board games and this endless, ex even exhausting play from early in the morning, six in the morning, uh, till e evening time. But this is also my favorite time of year. I, don't, I may be alone here, but I love college football bowl season. <laughs> Do you know this year there are 40 football bowl games? And in our family, it's especially uh, intense time. My son works for Kellogg um, Cereal Company, and they have a snack division making Pringles and Cheez-It crackers. I'm sure all of you anxiously watched two nights ago the Cheez-It Bowl from Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Air Force versus Washington State. And in two days... I know you're all an eagerly anticipating the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, uh, <laughs> and I can't, Arizona State versus Florida State. Uh, my son is, um, puts these bowls on, uh, and so our family is uh, quite involved with it. But I love college football season. This is a time of year I'm especially aware of how sport and play and celebration factor into the rhythms of our lives and the rhythms of this year. It's interesting, isn't it, that humans do delight in play. And we can ask lots of questions about why is that so, and why is play a part of the human experience? Now, evolutionary biologists always phrase the question this way. Why is it that organisms who delight in play survive and reproduce at a higher rate than those who don't? and why, therefore, natural selection selected for delight and play. And typically, when evolutionary theorists look at something like play, they say it's um, an experience where people at a younger age can begin to acquire muscular strength, physical skill, physical dexterity. Social scientists look at this in addition. Play is a time when younger Children can begin to develop new social skills. They can do role-playing. 
They can anticipate identities and tasks they'll be doing in the future and begin to work them out and play and become more adept. They can learn the fine lines between competition and cooperation and begin to work out through play these kinds of skills that will lead to their long-time effectiveness at survival and reproduction. Um, and indeed, play has these functions, and it helps um, socialize individuals. You know, and I was thinking about this. Um, not only does it teach, again, that fine line between when to cooperate and, and when to compete and strategy, but how many times in our life do we have to realize that some things are just the roll of the dice, <laughs> just sheer chance, and we have to respond when we really needed a five to come up with the dice and we only got a one. And we have to learn to somewhat graciously live with that. Or celebrate and triumph and delight when the five does get rolled. Um, so many of these kinds of skills are developed through play. And play has that. But I, as a religious studies scholar today, I want to look at play in some other ways. Because the very human brain that did evolve through natural selection to help us in survival tasks and skills. Play is also part of a brain that can freely explore our world. And we can imagine new worlds and new possibilities. Imagination of a way we could live differently or be and live in the world. So in a way, the young child playing and the very reflective adult are doing the same things. They're imagining alternate ways to be in our world, alternate ways of living and delighting in that. So today I come to praise play as part of our way of imagining worlds and investing our world with meanings, with purpose, with rules. In a way, play is the clearest expression of our creative ability to be vital and to go out into the world and, as I say, invest it with meaning and rules and to enjoy camaraderie and also to enjoy that the rules and fairness <laughs> in the play and to delight when those moments come with victory and success that reward our skill and our, our cunning. About 60 years ago, a Dutch scholar named Johan Heisinger wrote a very important book in the study of play, and he called it Homo Ludens, the human species as a playing creature. And when he looked at what does play say about the human condition, he said there's four characteristics of play. And the first characteristic of play, he said, is this. Play is free. Play is an act of freedom. No one is coercing us. Play is an expression of our freedom, and freedom and play are very much the same thing. Secondly, play is distinct from ordinary life. Play is not ordinary life. Now, play is distinct, first of all, in its time. That when it happens, it's set aside different time periods, days of the week, moments of the day. When a game lasts, it lasts for a very specific amount of time period that's separate from other kinds of, of our calendar. And it's also separate in locality. It takes place in very specific locations. Third, play creates order, rules. Play demands order. Play demands rules. And these rules and order are supreme once the play begins. And finally, play must be connected with no material interest. No profit can be gained from play. 
Now, I think this is why it brings up the quick question of our professional sports, <laughs> and they wouldn't constitute play. Um, I've often wondered why the sports scores um, of our professional teams aren't just put on the business page, along with stocks going up and down, the Cubs went up three uh, or something over the week, because really with the large salaries and the large corporate incentives and motivations, uh, much of the play is being freedom and being um, totally removed from worldly gain and worldly profit is totally removed. So I think in a way that's a corruption of play as at least Heisinger um, understood it. When religious studies scholars and, and st scholars of human culture and society look at us, it's convenient for us to divide human life into two phases, two modes. Now, in religious studies, the great scholars say we must see that in every human culture, there is the world of every day, the worldly, and set aside is the holy, the sacred, the profane, and the holy. Jeez, I, do I have this kind of magical <laughs> ability? Uh, um, this is a fantastic, I wish uh, whoever has the spots could, could kind of follow me around and uh, allow me to do that. Um, th that's fa fabulous. Um, the secular and the sacred, the worldly and the holy. I think that presupposes a little bit of our biblical notion that there's a supernatural world on high that sometimes intervenes and breaks into our world. Maybe we can lighten up on this distinction and just see that we spend most of our days in structure, socially defined structure. We have roles, we have this in our families. We have this at work. Some sociologists and cultural scholars have looked at it and said, you know, that's why there's such a need for a third place in our life, isn't there? In our family, we have roles and duties. At work, we have roles and duties. And in many ways, this is limiting, it's confining, and it becomes tiring and even exhausting. And we need a third place where these, and people have looked at barber shops beauty salons. People have looked at coffee houses as a third place, taverns as a third place where interaction between people and the roles and hierarchy, um, etc., is leveled and there's a more spontaneous life. Sports provides that third place. It's a place of spontaneity and freedom. We spend most of our lives, I think, in that life of structure, Everything is a means for an end. What's the old bumper sticker? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. <laughs> um, work is a means to an end. And everything is instrumental. And as opposed to that are those odd moments in life when we do something for the sheer sake of it. It's intrinsically valuable to us, intrinsically fun, intrinsically meaningful in its own sake. And it's, it's fulfilling in its own right. And we treasure those moments as we enter. And throughout history, every culture has ways of providing certain rituals that at least momentarily lift us out of life and structure. Life that can be, as I say, restraining and limiting in its demands upon us to act in prescribed ways and to lift us out of that to be momentarily free, to be spontaneous and to enjoy something in its own right and not for its worldly gain and its worldly significance and meaning. And when we are in these moments, it's invigorating. 
We feel refreshed. We feel renewed, revitalized before we go back and re-engage our everyday life in the world of structure and roles and means to end striving. Sports provide this function. And so when I think today of in praise of play, I think of moments in life where we can be free, we can be spontaneous and engage in something for no worldly value other than it is a world of meaning for us and a meaning and fulfilling in its own right. Think of the ways sports do separate us from life and structure. First of all, like religion, sports have a liturgical calendar. Now we in the UU... Tradition don't have the kind of liturgy in the liturgical calendar that Catholicism or Episcopalians or Lutherans have, right? But, I mean, think about all the time preparing for Easter through Lent and through all of the weeks of recognizing certain preparatory phases and moments. But sports have the same. There's the off-season, and then there's a stage of preparation and training that leads to opening day that demarcates the beginning of a brand new season. So sport and play is demarcated and set off from real life by its calendar. I have to at least give a flippant uh, observation for the moment about football. Um, One of the most uh, wonderful and delightful tongue-in-cheek essays I ever um, read looked at, from a psychoanalytic perspective, the role of football in our lives. And it looked at football is in the fall, harvest season. It's played on a field. <laughs> and the main characters are males whose masculine strength is exaggerated with their powerful shoulders, their tapered waist, their straight hips, as they move with power and grace and speed across the field to bring the fertility symbol egg-shaped object down to the final harvest. All the while cheered on by young women wearing tight sweaters and short skirts, uh, jumping to theirs. And you think about it, football is set apart um, in the fall as a harvest kind of activity. But not only are are play and sport set aside in time, they're set aside in locale. Our stadiums, our arenas are consecrated. They're set aside from other activities. They're only for the play. They're only for the sport. And even walking into them creates new expectations of the kinds of performance. And by the way, it's not just our stadiums. A chessboard is space and location that has special meaning invested in it and is set aside. Pavement hopscotch, right? I remember how my driveway was magically transformed into a basketball court with even little cracks in the driveway designating certain very significant points for free throws and for three-point shots, etc. We set aside space with different meanings and in different investments. And then to further lift us out of our life and structure, think of all the other ways that sport lifts us out to celebrate and to enjoy something in its own right. Marching bands. Can you imagine a spaceship from another planet coming and looking down in America as a marching band moves across trying to report back to its world what we do on planet Earth, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Ohio State Band do its wonderful script, Ohio. Um, I happen not to be an Ohio State fan, but I do admire their marching band's ability uh, to do this out. But how beautiful, but it's festive and celebratory and for no worldly gain other than just 
just lifting us out of our workaday structured life and giving us a moment to revel and enjoy in its own right. It creates a sense that there'll be extraordinary experience. And then we begin to sing songs, songs that bond us together as tribes, the Illini Nation, the Cub Nation, etc. Think of our colorful mascots that roam around the sidelines, giving a sense, this is not ordinary. We have stepped into the extraordinary. We've lifted from our everyday world to a moment special in time. The fans, too, wear special colors. They wear silly hats. They paint their faces. They paint their bodies. All again designating we've entered a separate time, not for worldly gain, but for revitalizing, for fun. Now, all of this creates the extraordinary, set apart from the ordinary. And I think there's at least three characteristics of, in praise of play that bring us refreshed life, vitality. The first is this. It bonds us together, both the athletes themselves in the camaraderie of being teammates and the spectators as well. Life and structure, everyday life, is hierarchical. There's those who we report to, and there's those who report to us. There's bosses, there's workers. Everything is hierarchical. There's different status. But when we come together in play and we come together in sport, we come together as equal. I love an anthropologist has a beautiful term for this bond that we share with other people. He calls it communitas. I just love to say it. It's giving it a kind of a faux Latin expression, gives it kind of some sense of decorum. Communitas, that bond that we share with other people without which there could be no society, right? When do we feel that? Nothing more than at a football game. A bond of equality, both the players themselves as they huddle together to go and work as equals on a unit. They're slapping one another. How many times do we also have seen fans high-fiving each other in the stands, slapping one another's hands, hugging um, perfect strangers next to them at a touchdown or an important basket being scored? This camaraderie that breaks all social divisions, that bond again with which there could be no society, revitalized and reinvigorated for both spectators and athletes through play. Secondly, the experiencing of strong emotions. Now, triumph and defeat, hope and disappointment. But all this gives a catharsis to our expressions, and there's nothing like being able to feel and experience and release powerful emotions. Also, notice how many of these emotions are forbidden in normal working life. Where else can you yell, kill them, right? (laughs) Knock them down, block them, tackle them. Um, We can even applaud violence and... um, impolite behavior as we can scream and shout at at defeating the uh, hated enemy. Um, It's powerful releasing and it brings vitality and a sense of life and invigoration. And thirdly, there are certain experiences that happen in play and in sport. I call it the flow experience. When we let go, most of us go through life very self-possessed. It's a necessity. 
I, the actor, must now do this, and we have to be very self-conscious about how we present ourselves, how we behave, and especially at our work skills. We have to keep very conscious that we're doing the right skill and employing it in the right way constantly. There's nothing more wonderful about life when we can let go. I'm looking at Adam Sloan, who's sitting here about six rows back, and I remember Adam once telling me, there's nothing he liked from coming back from his advertising agency, where Adam was an account executive and had to wear a suit and be um, very much on his manners and minding his the deco- social decorum and life and structure become draining. But he would come home in the evening and garden. And he once told me, he says, yeah, he says, when I go out and I do my gardening work, I let go to the experience. Now, kind of an odd expression, but we all know somewhat what he means. Time lets go, he became one with the activity, and you become self-forgetful, the flow experience. The psychologist Abraham Maslow, who studied people at their highest levels of, of efficiency, said he called them a peak experience when we our sense of our energies and our powers come together in an especially delightful and efficient way. In those moments, life is good in its own sake. We feel emotions that life is valuable and it's for what it is and not for any other instrumental value or for some other thing that it could achieve. We live in, if you will, a sense of immediacy, total absorption. Um, I once put it, there come moments when you're not doing the play, you are the play. How many times that we might, perhaps at a wedding reception, not doing the dancing, we are the dancing. <laughs> we are the movement that's, that moves effortlessly and celebrate in the play. So with these, sport can bring us the sense of, of social, genuine bond with others, communitas, if you will, camaraderie. It can allow us to experience intense emotions. And it can give us, both spectators and athletes, that flow experience, that peak experience, when that sense of immediacy and self-forgetfulness and letting go of all self-preoccupation and self-control and letting go to life and experience. For most of history, religion was the primary activity of human play. If we look at Aztec sports, for example, we see that they were both serious, but they were both religious, they were both sport. <laughs> and I think, by the way, even of a Seder meal in, in Judaism at Passover, how religion and theatrical play of the retelling of sacred memories and holding them up um, enters. I think of Mardi Gras. I think of all of the shenanigans that might go on in a Mardi Gras celebration that's also part of a calendar of preparation for Christian Lent. I think of Hindu classical dance where the dance infuses and brings out emotions and powers and connection. I think of nativity plays, how much play and theatrics and sport have been combined with religion. But... As so many things have happened over the course of history, we call the gradual movement of many things, such as, for example, healing and medicine, the gradual secularizing or pulling away from institutional religion to other areas. Maybe in many ways, sport and play are today the way that many of us feel the sense of communitas, 
the sense of powerful emotions and the sense of life being expressed for its own sake and the flow experience of letting go to activity and the way it revitalizes. So as I kind of conclude and pull some thoughts together as I think of in praise of play, I think of the way play invigorates and it brings vitality and brings us this fresh sense of participating in life. And when I think of that, vitality therefore is spirituality, spirited living, enthusiasm for the activity itself regardless of its immediate usefulness or profit for myself. We're told in religion that we as humans were created in the image of God. If God represents to us the concept of creation, investing a world with meaning and joy and participation, we are agents of ongoing life and vitality and creation, and we do this nowhere more than when we play. And I think of Hinduism the religion of India that has many different from north to south, east to west, many regions of India, but one of the stories of creation, of myth, um, of why there is a universe and how it comes about. Some of you have seen the dancing Shiva, that the universe is the dance of a divine being dancing out the rhythm (laughs) lost in just the dance itself. All creation, we're told in Hinduism, is divine sport. There's a beautiful word. It's spelled like our word, Lila. It's pronounced Lila, L-I-L-A. But Lila in Hinduism is the universe is Brahman, the ultimate source of all life. Everything is divine play, divine sport. Joyful creativity to take delight in. What is God? God is that energy that wants to create wants to play, wants to delight for its own sake. When we are created in the image of God, we are agents who delight in participating in life and creating for its own sake, joyfully, experiencing its rich emotions, experiencing the camaraderie that comes, and experiencing those moments when something is intrinsically and innately fulfilling just because it is for ourselves. So as we pause today during bowl season, and don't worry, you still have about 12 more bowl games to go um, between now and um, Wednesday uh, at midnight. But in the midst of bowl season, we can praise play. We can praise human vitality. But most of all, we can praise this one thing, that we as humans can delight in creating and investing worlds with meaning and expressing life for its own sake in praise of play. Thank you.